Get the inside scoop on what VCs are thinking and where they are investing today and tomorrow. Ann Kennedy and Jillian Music guide you through the opaque world of venture capital and reveal all the ways you can source capital for your company's growth. It all starts right here with Ann Kennedy and Jillian Music on VC Confidential. Welcome to VC Confidential. I'm Ann Kennedy, and I'm here with my co-host and partner at Outlines Venture Group, Jillian Music. Together, we are managing directors of the Sibylla Masters Fund, and you can learn more about that at masters.vc. This show is for investors and entrepreneurs alike. We are having a grand time ripping that opaque lid off the world of conventional venture capital to show you how it works. And there you have it. Hi, Jillian. What's on your mind today? Hi, Anne. Risk. Risk is on my mind, particularly the risky business of venture capital investing, of course. So investing in early stage privately held companies in the hopes of being part of a unicorn exit windfall is, I think, by far the riskiest of investments. Well, with the possible exception of gambling in Vegas, I don't know, Macau, Monaco, whatever. (laughs) Or gambling anywhere else while you're at it, Jillian, but carry on. Okay, okay. So over the weekend, I was rereading this Kaufman Foundation uh, report, and it was published titled, We Have Met the Enemy and He Is Us. That's Uh, Pogo, by the way. I know, I know. (laughs) Genders aside, but you know. So Diane Mulcahy was one of the authors of this report. And following its publication, she wrote, and I quote, We found that the overall performance of the industry is poor. VC funds have significantly outperformed the public markets since the late 1990s. And since 1997, less cash has been returned to VC investors than they have invested. Hold it, hold it, hold it. Are you telling me that for 24 years, less cash has been returned to VC investors than they have invested? This emperor has no clothes, my dear. No, that's where we, we started. But, yeah, that's why we're doing what we're doing, isn't it? That's right. That's where we started. That was the phrase. <laughs> so she goes on to say a tiny group of top performing firms that they do not know the names of which, right? By the way, anonymized data and so on and so forth, right? Do generate, if you will, quote, venture rates of return. And that's defined as, wait for it, folks, at least twice the invested capital net of fees twice. That's it. The Mm. average fund, however, yeah, I know exactly, bleat. (laughs) Right. The average fund, however, breaks even or loses money. We analyzed the Kaufman Foundation's experience, she says, investing in nearly 100 venture capital firms uh, funds over 20 years and found that only 20 of their funds outperformed the markets by, and again, wait for it, folks, three to five percent annually. And that the Kaufman Foundation and others, right, institutional investors expect to to compensate us for the fees and illiquidity that we incur by investing in private rather than public equity. Even worse, 62 of the 100 funds failed to beat the returns available from a small cap public index. So you got to ask, why would they do that? Well, we're going to get to that later. (laughs) Yeah. Venture capital investments are generally perceived as high risk and high reward. Okay. So the data in the report reveals that although investors in venture capital take on high fees, illiquidity, and risk, right? That's what we're talking about here. They rarely reap 
the reward of the high returns. Entrepreneurs who are distressed when VCs decline to fund their ventures need only review the performance data to see that venture capital as a group has no Midas touch for investing. End of her quote. So I would say further, similar reports indicate that fewer than 4% of venture funded companies have successful exits. We talk about this all the time, Anne. 80% die within five years of receiving venture funding and the remaining 16% continue to operate but don't have an exit. Yeah, by which you mean, let's just remind everybody, they don't sell or to another entity or hold an IPO, right? Yeah, absolutely, precisely. So since a sale or IPO is required to extract capital from conventional venture capital investments, that's that illiquidity that Diane was talking about, these companies return nothing to the investors. I'd like to add just a small caveat here or a small side item. There are a handful of owners of privately held company stock who have been able to sell their shares to other interested investors. But such sales are largely limited to fairly large and well-known brands that have not yet gone public, and they are very, very rare. Yes, that would be correct. And of course, this doesn't refer to that taking cash off the table process in which in later stages of investments, some founders can take some cash off and, you know, those kinds of that, that's not included in here. But really, if you're an investor and you put your money into a private equity investment, it's private. You're just not going to get your money back out until it goes public. So it's a good point, Ed. This segment of the PE market, I think, may expand over time, and we're going to keep our eye on the sale of these privately held stocks for future updates here at VC Confidential. But in the meantime, billions of dollars which are poured into the most promising companies in the world go down the drain with them. Okay, so returning to your point, the conventional venture capital has a lot to answer for in its poor performance on many levels, Jillian. GoingVC.com in a recent report points out that even though we read and hear all about the big exits from the top tier investors in billion dollar companies, hello, yeah, media reporting, the sad truth is that more than half of US venture funds return nothing to their investors. Not a zip, zero, not even one X. These investors would be better off putting their money under a mattress or burying it in a sock in the garden. At least they could dig it up in the future and use it if they want. <laughs> well, that's true enough. So again, this Kaufman Foundation uh, and Forbes and many others have pointed out that since 1997, conventional venture capital returns to investors have not kept pace with the returns of the public market. There's, I mean, that piece bears repeating, right? The whole idea of higher risk is to see the higher reward. Of course, one must stay the course and not give up too soon. We were just talking about this before the show, right? What was the uh, diversification number there, Anne? Uh, 60 to 500 different yeah. companies. <laughs> okay. So if your portfolio doesn't contain somewhere between 60 and 500, a minimum of 60, right? You're not diversified enough, right? So you can argue that an investor must make sufficient investments so that one will emerge as that elusive unicorn. But at some level, we should see those higher returns reflected across the decades. And since we do not, we must consider that the rewards are still not high enough to balance that risk. But Jillian, with unicorn exits exceeding tens of billions of dollars, how much higher would company exit valuations have to be to balance this risk versus re reward equation? 
Well, there you've hit the nail on the head, Anne, I think. This is not about continuing to, you know, increase valuations so the few investors in a unicorn exit can account for everyone else's losses. It's not a meaningful equation. The winners win, far too many losers lose, and they continue to lose. You know, this I win, you lose equation, it's got to stop. Well, maybe not stop entirely, okay, but it certainly demonstrates that conventional venture capital needs curtailing and investment models require refining to better address the needs of startup companies. I agree 100% because conventional venture capital is killing off way too many of the most promising companies on the planet. Unless VCs have consistently been making mistakes on 96% of their investment decisions, we need these companies to continue to thrive and continue to solve important and pressing problems for us all. Yeah, I would agree. Conventional venture capital is actually a rather small piece, though, of the private equity market. And that's what we're saying here today, Anne, you know, is that it should be even smaller than it is. Conventional VC investing from angel through three pre-IPO investing, right, the whole gamut, right, is a high-risk winner-take-all game, and it's based on finding, and on this I quote my son, Rand Fishkin, co-founder of Moz and now Spark Doro. He's an author of Austin Founder. It's about the founder experience, and he's an industry thought leader, not only in SEO and influencer marketing, but now also in early-stage entrepreneurship. And on this subject, Rand offers the following advice to entrepreneurs. Unless your model is in alignment with the venture model of investing, invest in many companies that will fail in order to find a kernel of absurdly successful mega winners. The equity path is not for you. And that's sage advice for LPs as well, Jillian, unless your risk tolerance includes being ready to lose everything invested at least 51% of the time, and you are ready to lock up your capital for 10 to 15 years with a 4% average chance of seeing a 3x return on your capital, then conventional VC investing is not for you. I have to point out, and that should you succeed in finding the VC that actually does return something to you at the end of the fund, a 3x exit uh, equates to about a 1% year over year, excuse me, 18% year over year return on your cash. And since you can make 8 to 12 in a REIT, the public markets are returning like crazy high returns these days, and balanced structured note investments can yield you about 12 to 15 you know, a small shot at 20% annual returns or 18%, right? It's not actually enticing. For sure. Okay, enough about the problem. I think everybody listening has the picture. We need to mitigate the risk of early stage privately held companies so that investors can capitalize them sustainably. That requires a mutually beneficial investment agreement. How do we get there? I got some answers. I'm gonna start by answering my own question, then you can kick in, Jillian. Broadly stated, there are three key ways to start de-risking this most uncertain asset class. Uncertain of success, that is. Uh, One, diversify leadership teams. For both investment companies and portfolio companies, those with women and other underrepresented groups of people steering the ship perform better. That is, they produce larger returns for shareholders in both public and private companies. Absolutely. And, and <laughs> I've got two more. You have a comment about that, and then we'll go to break. 
Sounds good. So I would agree with you. You know, Sarah Brand and Kerry Rupp, uh, with the uh, general partners at True Wealth Ventures in Austin, Texas, have published a great deal of information about the results of investing in underrepresented teams, in particular women. Decades of result indicates that returns from diverse leadership teams return as much as 35% more in both the private and public companies. It's not chump change. The reasons are myriad, and most of them derive from greater access to resources, markets, and yes, ingenuity and innovation, right, than the leadership teams who all look like one another or even went to all the same schools. And this should be a warning to investors, I think, Anne, that successful startups have twice as many women in senior roles as unsuccessful companies. Get that again, twice as many. And I think most people now know, of course, of Kevin O'Leary's uh, of the Shark Tank, uh, you know, reported, he said he was surprised to discover that 100% of the companies returning on his investment were all led by women. And he reported, and again, I quote, that he didn't, quote, have a single company run by a man that outperformed the ones run by women. Whew. Well, that's informative, investors. So we have more. We'll get back to it after a break. This is VC Confidential, and we'll be right back. More ways you can source capital for your company's growth on VC Confidential is coming up. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. Ann Kennedy and Jillian Music are back with the inside scoop on what VCs are thinking and where they are investing today and tomorrow on VC Confidential, only on WMR.FM. Welcome back to VC Confidential. I'm Ann Kennedy with Jillian Music talking about what you as an investor, advisor, or entrepreneur need to know about venture capital. Today, we're talking about de-risking venture capital, that riskiest of asset classes. Um, before the break, we talked about number one is diversify your leadership teams on both sides of the table. And at the risk of sounding like we are just pounding the same drum over and over again, there is more. And I'm going to <laughs> tell you now, number two, build capitalization stacks in portfolio companies. As you so often say this, uh, Jillian, growing companies do not and should not depend on a single tech solution to power their efforts. They find specific applications to support different elements of company operations. Let's apply the same thinking to funding for startups at each stage of growth. Investors should be asking myself what funding model suits each of my portfolio company's specific needs best at this moment. And regardless of what kind of investments our listeners have made in the past, I hope they are now considering alternative ways to invest in privately held companies to improve their return on investment and the survivability of the companies they like so well that they're willing to put their money into those companies' successes. So Jillian, list out some of these funding options for us to consider. Well, it turns out I do have a few right here in my pocket. How uh, about okay, that? drum yeah. roll, please. <laughs> uh, 
we will, Jillian, give us a list and then we'll dig in and see how to utilize each of them to benefit investors, entrepreneurs, and the communities in which they operate. But before we get down in the weeds, I did say there were three ways to begin de-risking -risk venture capital as is so much needed right now. And here is the third way, seek mutually beneficial deals, term sheets, and investment documents. There's a reason TV's Shark Tank is named after a highly predatory class of sea life. It's time for that kind of thinking to change and focus on benefiting all stakeholders, investors, entrepreneurs, constituents, and communities. I know I just said that, but the need for serious change in how innovation gets funded really bears repeating. Okay, I'll take a breath now and step off my soapbox so we can get into some practical applications of what we're talking about. So Jillian, you have a list. Yes, I'll take it away. Okay, so the conventional venture capital investment model, which involves, as we know, seeking companies with the capacity to grow to become unicorns is fine for companies with large enough markets, sufficiently disruptive technologies, and that are protected by patentable IP. Now, for entrepreneurs taking a different path, and there are so many others, right? Here are some alternatives. Venture debt models, crowdfunding, revenue share agreements, royalty agreements, conventional loans, hard money loans, usually bridge loans, factoring, bartering, deferred lending models. And then there's more, right? Venture equity models, dividend models, conventional venture equity, non-accredited investor capital campaigns, right? That non-accredited investor capital campaign process, that's new and it is different than crowdfunding, structured equity and SPACs. That's a lot of choices. Okay, let's dive into each one of these models risk factors compared to conventional venture equity investments and um, raise up what that means for investor expectations for ROI. Okay, so at the top level, you've got debt models or equity models, right? With the debt model, I would suggest that, uh, again, crowdfunding through down to, uh, you know, those deferred lending models and so on. Essentially, these are loans. With crowdfunding, it's great if you have a product, right? You can get in there, put out the product, people essentially pre-buy it, right? So you owe it to them later, right? Revenue share agreements, same idea. It's a loan that says when your company has revenue, we're gonna take a share of it. Or if it has revenue already, we're taking a share of it. That's how they get paid back. There are generally you know, standardized interest rates and so on. I doubt that they uh, usually will uh, decline with the balance. It's usually a flat rate that is uh, computed in advance until the whole thing is paid off. Royalty agreements, this is about um, monetizing the royalty royalties from whatever product or uh, uh, IP is being created from a company. So a single piece of something could be monetized rather than the entire company. That becomes interesting too. Hard money loans. Here's an interesting one. If your company has uh, real estate, specifically commercial real estate, you can get a hard money commercial real estate bridge loan. These are generally about three months to three years long, sometimes a little longer than that. Uh, they run, I don't know, a few points down, sometimes a lot of points down. So you want to be careful on that. A point is a percent of the total loan. 
and then um, you pay them again, usually by the month, and then a lump sum at the end, a balloon at the end. Factoring. This is a time-honored tradition from the manufacturing world of the 20th century. Um, companies like uh, Lighter Capital, whom we talk about frequently here, and there are several others, Founders Fund and a few others and so on, essentially took factoring out of the 20th century, and they put it in the 21st. With factoring, you look at what your future revenues will hold, and again, the company takes a percentage of those future revenues. They can run anywhere from about 18 to 35. Years ago in commercial fact, uh, uh, manufacturing, it was about 22 to 23%. So look at something like that. But note that these are significantly less costly to you than venture capital, which wants 10x minimum, 100x maximum. Bartering. Bartering is kind of a major play. You know, I'll do this for you and you do that for me. This is a brilliant way to do the early stages of funding uh, from uh, companies that can provide, I don't know, marketing to you and you can provide IT to them. You figure it out over time. Uh, but even uh, bartering platforms are gaining in popularity. And then finally, of course, these deferred lending models that just simply say, yeah, I'm going to lend you something, but in the future, you're going to start paying me back. They just have a date deadline as opposed to a revenue share deadline or something like that, or a revenue um, uh, goals deadline. All of that is venture debt. Here's the killer piece about venture debt. They don't own stock. You own 100% of your company and you always do. Yes, you carry debt on your books. It's not all positive, right? But you own the company. If you don't want to sell your company, this is a really good way to look at things. One, it's easier to get. Two, it's faster to close the deal. Three, you get these guys off your you know, list of things you have to deal with in the future. They're never on your cap table. With venture equity models, right? That's dividend, conventional venture equity, non-accredited investor capital campaigns, structured equity and SPACs, those become really interesting. I'm going to start with the bottom because we're going to run out of time again, Anne. <laughs> we do that a lot. We do. We do. <laughs> okay. So SPACs is really interesting. Recently, uh, just a few months ago, you and I met with a young lady who had herself a company and somebody had taken it public on the pink sheets. Now, usually SPACs refers to multi-billion dollar corporations going public and this is how they do it quickly and with a little less uh, onerous paperwork and so on. And we're, we're not too thrilled with it, right? All around. Every time you reduce the amount of hoops that people have to jump through to get through something as somebody's going to slip one by you. I'm not sure about those multi-million dollar slacks or billion dollar backs, right? Sooner or later, something's going to bubble over well, there. Actually, it's uh, that the uh, SEC just started making noises about that last week. Well, how about that? You about went changing the, the report. <laughs> That's changing right. You've been the reporting requirements on SPACs. Um, not there shutting them down, but changing the reporting requirements. So. Well, good deal, because yeah, you've been yeah. ringing that chime for some time already, Anne, and you're I quite know. right. It's so, fun to be this, right. Yeah. <laughs> A precedent and all that. So here's the thing with the little SPACs, though, the pink sheets. These are the things that, you know, sell for a dollar or less kind of thing. If you have a company that is essentially non-functioning anymore, right, you can roll yourself into a pink sheet SPAC. What this really does for a very early stage company, it could be even before, you know, Series A, seed stuff, right, you can become public now, you may never leave the pink sheets. Your investors may or may not be able to, you know, see a significant return, but they can sell that stock. The illiquidity has been drastically reduced to nothing. 
Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Right. That one just blew me away. It's like illiquidity is a major issue and a risk factor. Right. The longer you have to tie up your capital investors, the larger the risk involved. Right. Any kind of investment you take, if you have to tie it up for a long period of time, you don't know what's going on down that road. I mean, we didn't know from one minute to the next what the hell was going to happen in the year of COVID. But there's a lot of stuff that we don't know what the hell is going to happen next. Tell me what's going to happen in 10 years. Exactly. Where's yeah. the market going to be? What's things going to, you know, what the price is going to look like? Uh, what kind of battery technologies are we using in cars? All that stuff. SPACs give you the opportunity to sell on the public market. And who knows? It may they move from pink sheets to the major, uh, you know, uh, products fairly quickly. The, Structured equity is. Oh, I'm sorry, you were going to say something, man. Uh, the appeal of uh, eliminating the illiquidity of venture investing, I think, is extreme. It kind of democratizes the whole thing. Uh, I agree. We we need to take a break, and then after that, let's come back and talk a little bit more about the uh, venture equity models because we don't want to give them short shrift. This is VC Confidential, and we'll be right back with more insights into the risk of venture capital on VC Confidential. More ways you can source capital for your company's growth on VC Confidential is coming up. Here's the truth you need to know about podcasting. The biggest problem you face right now as a future podcaster is the myth that it takes an enormous amount of time or effort to produce a high-quality professional podcast. Luckily for you, there's a solution to your problem. If you're an online marketer who really needs to grow an audience of buyers but can't do all the heavy lifting alone, then here's the solution you're looking for. Introducing the DFY Podcasting System. Here's what you get. 30 minutes of one-on-one -on -one training a weekly podcast for you or your company, distribution to almost every podcast portal, an embeddable player for your website, an ebook called How to Podcast, created for WMR.FM show hosts, and much, much more. And best of all, you'll start seeing results with the DFY podcast system within a couple of weeks. You're just one podcast away from growing brand awareness and engagement in your business. Log on to podcast.wmr.fm and sign up for a deeply discounted rate today. That's podcast.wmr.fm. Ann Kennedy and Jillian Music are back with the inside scoop on what VCs are thinking and where they are investing today and tomorrow on VC Confidential, only on wmr.fm. Welcome back to VC Confidential. Today we're talking about de-risking venture capital by providing capitalization stacks of a variety of funding models instead of straight equity and building valuation, which is how it's operated for years. And just before the break, we were detailing a long list of funding options and how they serve funders, founders, and all the stakeholders in the communities. I think the one you'd come to, Jillian, was structured equity. You're right. And Which that's what we, we are do. very familiar with. Yes, we are bullish on it. That's what we do yes. at the Master's Fund. It's a little bit of a hybrid thing here. It, it looks like a loan, but you are not carrying debt. Um, so, And it looks like an investment, an equity investment. It is one, actually, right? But you can get those folks off your cap table because you have a structure in which to do so. So structured equity means that, uh, let's say, we're going to hand you cash and you're going to hand us stock, and then you get to buy back that stock. It's called redeemable preferred. You redeem, which means buy back the stock on a structured schedule. So for all of that, structured 
equity is a really good name. Um, it's, uh, it's a good hybrid. It enables the investors to take some advantages of whatever, and I know they're fast changing, laws might exist and regulations around taxation models for uh, equity investments versus lending and so on. It's myriad of changes. We don't know, you know what's available to people from day to day, never mind from year to year. Nevertheless, it's there. The second advantage for the company would be that you're not carrying debt, and that does enable the company to encumber itself in different ways uh, as it grows more freely. Um, it is also as an equity investment. It, it says, you know, a fund took this risk on us. Uh, the fact that the terms include, though, your ability to go buy back those investors means that you can take on and offload non-strategic early stage investors. Right, non-strategics are kind of a pain in the neck at the end of the game, and and more than just little stuff, it can be a, a significant uh, difficulty once you have so many investors who have to sign off on this and that and the next thing. It can be tough, right? So structured equity, for a number of reasons, really supports earlier returns, steadier returns, more likely returns to the investors. It supports the ability to take on and take off investors for entrepreneurs to keep control of their company in the long term and not to be forced to sell. Okay, so with that, um, dividend models, long-term, uh, you know, investment models, this can go on to your grandchildren's grandchildren, uh, conventional venture equity we all know about, and the other interesting piece is non-accredited investor capital campaigns. This is fairly new, um, and you can now raise up to $5 million there. These, again, are numbers that are changing fairly rapidly, so go check with the SEC, see what they want to do today, but a non-accredited investor campa capital campaign can help you to raise significant amounts of capital well beyond the angel or super angel stage these days. Quite exciting. Yeah. And I hope that that information has been useful to our listeners. I'm sure it has. But before we have to end this episode, Jillian, which we have to do, sadly, as was in just a few minutes, I do have a burning question. At the opening of this show, we aired the pretty sorry performance of venture funds so far, at least in terms of returns on invested capital. I am very curious as to why investors continue to pour money, and we're talking billions, into funds when more than half the funds will return nothing to them. I investors are comfortable with the risk of conventional venture capital investments, even when they know the numbers. That's a conundrum. David Leonhardt of the New York Times believes that the answer lies in our comfort levels or risk tolerance of new risks versus enduring risks. In short, we humans have an irrationality around risk. I would agree. David wrote, we often underestimate large chronic dangers like car crashes or chemical pollution, and we fixate on tiny but salient risks like plane crashes or shark attacks. In our world of venture capital and humans, uh, you know, focus on the FOMO, the fear of missing out of the unicorn exit, while ignoring the fact that since 1997, VCs have returned less cash to their investors than they took in. In other words, you've lost money. So, in his Times article, David mentions federal judge Guido Calabresi, a Yale law professor for more than three decades. Guido tells his students this very instructive fable, and I think it will illuminate to our listeners what we're talking about. He says, 
Imagine a God comes forth to offer society a wondrous invention that would improve everyday life in almost every way. It would allow people to spend more time with friends and family, see new places and do jobs they otherwise could not do. But it would come with a high cost. In exchange for bestowing this invention on society, the God would choose 1,000 young men and women and strike them dead. Then Calabresi asks, would you take the deal? And almost invariably, the students say no. The professor then delivers this fables lesson. What's the difference between this and an automobile? The automobile in the United States has a toll of 40,000 deaths per year. And we accept this toll because the vehicle crashes have always been part of our lives. We can't fathom a world without them. Guido's fable is a classic example of human irrationality about risk. We underestimate the large chronic ones like car crashes. We overestimate uh, or we overfocus on plane crashes and uh, shark attacks. One way for a risk to become salient is for it to be new, right? It's the core idea behind Calabresi's fable. He asks the students to consider whether they would accept the cost of vehicle travel if it did not already exist. The fact that they say no underscores a very different way in which we treat new risks versus the enduring ones. Ah, I get it. The familiar is acceptable, even desirable, no matter how the reality pencils out. Conversely, the unknown incites fear and distrust, even when it has the potential to lead to better outcomes. That about says it all, doesn't it? Yeah, perfectly put, Anne. Overcoming our primal instincts, and yes, our fears, is a critical component to improving our society's future. While our reptilian brain, the reptile brain, is uncomfortable with anything that's different in order to succeed individually as investors, as entrepreneurs, and even as a survivable species, our now substantial cerebral cortex is going to have to acknowledge that our reptilian brain's fears are there and then they have to carry on. As you said to me many times over the years, Anne, you know, of forging what sometimes seems to be a very frightening new territory, right? You said our path to success is this. Fear comes along for the ride, but it doesn't get to choose the route or make decisions. Yeah, we'll close with that thought from Liz author Elizabeth Gil Gilbert, who gave us that insight because that's a wrap for this episode of VC Confidential. We invite you to join us each Tuesday for a new episode as we take a deep dive into the opaque world of venture capital and share learnings and ideas on the inner workings of the shrouded corner of business finance known as VC. We'd like to thank our producers at WMR.FM who graciously hosted our previous CEO coach show for more than a decade and host our new VC Confidential show now in its fourth 43rd episode. Yay! We are grateful <laughs> for the long and continued support of our work. You can listen to all our episodes from both shows right here on WMR.FM and in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Ann Kennedy with Jillian Music, and we are so glad you joined us on VC Confidential. Till next week. Till next week. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.